Welcome back to Brain Body Movement, the podcast for those interested in everything nutrition, training, and mindset. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Brock. In today's episode, we answered four questions that got sent to us through social media. Question number one, how can I improve my conventional deadlift technique? I struggle with hips shooting up and it looking like an RDL. Question number two, is there anything wrong with eating the same foods every single day? Question number three, what does it mean if my lifts aren't progressing up in weight much or at all after a few months of sticking to a certain program, but I feel and look more muscular? And question number four, can wrist straps help when you're trying to overcome an injury while also trying to lift heavier? That was in the back half of the show. And in the front half, we spoke about having no limits on bettering yourself, tips on coaching a client through stressful eating, mentioned Robert De Niro, and gave you a few random facts. All right, enjoy the show. There is no limit on better. Talent is distributed unfairly, but there is no limit on how much we can improve what we start with. Forever learning, brother. <laughs> Forever learning. Forever learning. <laughs> Wise man once said it. Forever learning. No, so there's there's two key takeaways here. Um, you can't control your genetics, but you can control the amount of effort you put into better yourself. And uh, something I preach to all my clients all the time is just shoot for 1% better every day or even half a percent better every day. If you do that, that adds up over time. Like I may not move the needle much in the space of a week, a month, half a year, but you you have that compounding effect of moving that needle half a percent, 1% over time. It uh, makes a much more significant difference. The other thing is life is unfair. <laughs> Some people have better genetics than others. But that's what makes us all unique and what makes us all so special. So yes, someone may have better muscle building genetics than you. Yes, someone may be able to maintain a lower body fat percentage than you. Yes, someone may be stronger than you. That's just life. But that's what makes us all so unique and individual. So there's beauty in the unfairness of life. Some people are, are born in first world countries into really wealthy families. Some people are born in third world countries struggling for food. That is just life. Life is unfair. No one is the same, but that is what is so beautiful about it. Mm. Yeah, it is. And it reminds me of that, uh, I guess, that story of a fisherman. Have you heard that one before? Uh, Teach a man to fish. No, no. That's just, I guess, a saying. (laughs) Basically, it was like a guy down down fishing and he goes out and he spends time with his family throughout the day, goes out, just catches enough fish for his family to eat for the day and then relaxes on, on a nice beach and whatever. And a, um, a guy approached him that like an investment guy or whatever. And he's just like, Oh, if you could get like three or four more boats out here, you'd be earning a shitload more money. And he's like, and then what is up? And then you could create this whole business around it. And then like maybe in like 20, 30 years, you could sell those businesses and then uh, live on the beach um, and, fish all day every day and stuff and it's like that's what i'm doing right now it's just yeah. like some people are just content with just just chilling and doing their own thing so yeah i, re- I really like it it's um yeah talent is distributed unfairly and that you just got to roll with the punches like some people are short so they can't get into the i guess the nba or whatever some can but again they're just the the elite and just the way the way it is i guess but you can always get better always get better at something like you know you don't you don't need much time i know there's that ten thousand hours but even like i think your mate hormozy talks about even just 20 hours of work 
dedicated work on something, you can get pretty good, like just good enough. You know, you learn an instrument or kick a footy, whatever it is. And there's there's no limit on it, really, is there? No, not at all. So, well, well, not at all. There is to a certain extent. I think everyone's got a ceiling with, with the genetics that they've been given. But there's still no harm in consistently trying to push that ceiling or raise that ceiling or... But there's no limit yeah, on better, which is what no. There's, there's, there's no there's no there's no limit on better. You can you can consistently strive for more, and um, maybe a good saying is like judge a man based on his work ethic and not on his skill level. Like if he's got the work ethic and drive to better himself in business relationship, um, in the inside the gym, his physique, whatever it may be, if he's got a good work ethic there. You can base the integrity off that rather than the actual skill that he has himself or his current state of physique or his current level of business or his current mindset towards relationship life whatever it may be so yeah better yourself <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in short and simple can continually strive to to better yourself yeah because if you think about it like say some of these athletes and stuff everything just comes easy to them and then it and then they don't know what hard work is because everything's just come easy so then mm-hmm. as they get deeper and deeper in you see that they don't grow that much because they're just like missing workouts because they can just roll up and you know play the game for whatever it is so then later down the track you see all these people that are a little bit below them didn't have as much skill but actually worked hard and now that they're, they're up to their level of skill but know how to work hard so when it gets tough they know how to go through it compared to the person that doesn't and I think that's a a good way of, of living life, of doing the hard thing so it's an easy easy life at the end instead of doing the easy thing now and then it's a harder life, that old saying. So it may be uncomfortable now, but knowing that at the end, it's going to be a lot easier. Even like, you know, in the gym and you first start working out or whatever, it, it, is, it can be hard, but striving for more it'll get easier like you don't it doesn't get easier but you get better so like if you look at it like you're lifting say i don't know a five kilo dumbbell right but as a bicep curl and then like a month goes past and now you can lift like a 10 kilo dumbbell it didn't get easier but you just got better but if you went back to that five kilo it would be easy because now you've gotten better so i really like that when I'm explaining to clients as well, it's like, it's always going to, there's always going to be something that um, may feel uncomfortable and it may be hard for you to keep moving forward, but know of how far you've come and you look back and you're like, okay, that's easy. What I used to do now, this is a lot harder because I'm better. I had a young, this reminds me, I had a young kid come up to me in the gym. He was probably 16, 17. And I think I was doing like a, a dumbbell chest press and at the time that, Jim had 45 kilogram dumbbells. That was the heaviest I had. And I pressed them, put them down on the floor. And I let out a bit of a sigh, like, oh. and he comes up to me and got me to take off my headphones. And he goes, does it ever get any easier? And I went, nope. And I'm <laughs> like, as, as soon as it gets a little bit easier, I just make it harder for myself. I'm like, but you get stronger. You get better. You get more resilient. Like you, you improve, but it's still the same level of difficulty from day one as compared to now. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that I really like about the gym. So I had a conversation recently about like must must haves within a partner for myself. 
And going to the gym is one of them. And it's got nothing to do with the physical aspect of it, but it's got to do with the mindset. I know that every single person in that gym, they're in a gym to try and better themselves in one way, shape or form, fitter, faster, stronger, build my muscle, lose weight. They're, they're, it's the betterment of themselves. And it's that growth mindset that I seek, not the, not the physical body or the results from going to the gym. And I think that's, something that's not looked at as much as it should be in regards to the identity of someone that goes to the gym. Oh yeah, I go to the gym. Oh, they care about their body. Oh no, they, they care about themselves and bettering themselves and growing, overcoming, like doing hard things. Like going to the gym isn't easy, but uh, not going to the gym and sitting on the couch and becoming out of shape, uh, losing your health. That's also not easy. So you got to choose your hard there. And <laughs> I think people just, Go like like you said, they go that easy route now, but it makes their life harder in the long run. Whereas if you do the hard thing now, it may make uh, it easier in the long run. So discipline, what's the saying? Um, discipline makes today hard, but tomorrow easy. Mm. And I really like that because just being disciplined and going to the gym, yes, it's hard to do. Yes, I'd much rather sit on the couch and binge watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians, whatever it may be. But I go to the gym and do the hard thing in spite of, the easy option being at home and that's to make life easier in the future. So whether I'm more fit and able-bodied to do something with my family or whatever it may be, do the hard thing now. So it makes tomorrow easier. Mm. Yeah. And it, you're, nine times out of 10, you do feel a lot better once you go to the gym and do that hard thing. And then you overcome it and you're like, fuck, I know I now know that I can do this hard thing. And then look at what I'm capable yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then that gives you reassurance that, okay, I've done this hard thing. It's not as bad as I thought it was. Because I think a lot of people in their minds make up these stories around doing a hard thing of like, it's going to be so much more worse than it already is. And you're just like putting it off, putting it off. And then the more times that you put it off and say, okay, I don't want to do this thing because you're scared of it or you think it's going to be too hard. It makes it even worse. And now you're training your brain into thinking, okay, whenever I even think of this thing, it's it's too hard. And then it just builds up even more and more. And you're just like, don't go at all. So just go do the hard thing and then realize that, okay, yes, it was hard, but I feel so much better now. And then I can get better over time. And then it'll lead into other areas of, of life as well. Like say um, you want to talk to a girl, like if you just went up to a girl and said hi for the first time ever, and that was just the hardest thing you've ever done, good on you. But if you did that a hundred times, it would just be become second nature. Like it's just reps. It's just the more times you do it, the easier it is. Like even just reframing it from a way of, if I was to do this a hundred times, would the hundredth time be easier or harder well it's obviously going to be easier because you've done it 100 more times but that first one that first initial jump is always going to be the hardest but just think oh i've already done this 100 times this is easy even if it's your first time just reframing it of yeah, i've already done it like i'll just go and just go and do it and just fucking pull the pin and just having that mindset it's just like it's a game changer the the psychology aspect of that is is the, the big key especially with training like um so someone asked me recently, if you don't like running, why do you, why do you do it? And I haven't been running a lot lately. Um, but the answer that I gave them was, oh, because it's hard, 
and it's a it's a mental challenge for myself. It's not necessarily a physical challenge, but it's a mental challenge for myself. There's so many times on that run where I think I brought it up before where I have one second decisions and it's like, okay, I can stop now, but then think of Brock in 15, 30, 30 minutes, maybe in 60 minutes time. Will he be happy with a decision to pull up stumps now, even though you wanted to go for 10K, 12K, whatever it may be? And then it's like, no, he wouldn't be happy with that. So I keep going. But it's doing something that I don't particularly want to do and that is hard and that is challenging at the start of my weekend, it then makes every other task throughout the weekend seem much easier because it's like, okay, I've done something that I don't want to do. Now there is something that I want to do. Like it makes the good things on the weekend that I do more enjoyable and it makes any work tasks that I have come up just go, okay, I've just got to get them done. And that's something that I really noticed this weekend. I was a bit lethargic this weekend. Uh, the weather wasn't great. I didn't stick to my normal routine. I didn't get up and do something hard on a Saturday morning, which is what I like doing. And that bled through to the rest of my weekend of just being lethargic and just, uh, I don't know, stuck in like a low frequency, so to speak. So the, the doing the hard thing, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. And at the time it's like, oh, how do I overcome this? Why, why do I want to do this? And you, it'll be a real mental battle. But then coming out the other side of it, whether it's a physical task or, or not, it's, it's that mental aspect and the psychology aspect of proving to yourself, hey, I'm disciplined enough to do this. And you build confidence within yourself. That's the real benefit rather than the physical um, benefit of, of going for a run in, in my example. But yeah, just that, that doing that. Look, look at all the like, top, top like, elite level people. Like, what does Joe Rogan do all the time? Joe Rogan does ice baths. No one does ice baths because they're like, wow, these are so fun. <laughs> they do them because it's hard. It teaches you to acclimatize to stress, control your breath. That's the main benefits of ice baths. Yes, they say inflammation and whatever it may be, turn white fat into brown fat. Yeah, they got all these studies. But to me, the main benefit is you're doing something that you don't particularly want to do. You're putting yourself in a stressful situation. You're teaching yourself how to acclimatize to stress and you're learning the power of controlling your breath. He does it like all the, like Dave Goggins, what does he do all the time? He goes on long runs and he's one of, one of the mentally most insane slash tough <laughs> people in, in, in the world. But you look at all the uh, like top level people, they, they regularly do hard things and they put themselves in discomfort. And I think it's for the mental reason rather than the physical reason. Mm. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta seek discomfort. As uh, mm. the yes theory, we've got it too. We've about. got it too easy. We've got it way too easy in this modern day and age. Like people complain about, oh, life is difficult. Like life is literally the easiest it's ever been. Like if I want food delivered to me, I can jump on my phone and I can get food delivered to me within twenty minutes. I get in my car. I don't have to walk to work. I get in my car and I walk to work. I don't even have to ride to work. I don't even have to get on a horse to go to work. I just get in the car and it takes me there. If I don't want to drive, I can just get someone to drive me to work. Mm. Like we've got a plethora of knowledge in, in our pocket at all times. We've got like, there has never been, I don't have to go to war regularly. Like mm. there's never been a better time to be alive. So in Australia, dis- <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've got to seek discomfort somehow because as humans, we're problem solvers, right? We don't have too many problems at the moment. And I think that's where like this whole woke culture comes from. It's like trying to poke holes in problems and trying to find problems that may not even potentially be there. But let's not go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to no, speak we won't. About that. <laughs> That's right. But it's, it's, it is true. It's like, and I think back in the day, you weren't really worried about what um, people were talking to, like a, 
behind your back about. They're more worried about a fucking saber-tooth tiger or whatever coming around. The yeah, exactly. Going to kill you and shit. So there's different stresses on the body. And now it's just like kind of micro stresses throughout the day if you are... Constant. Yeah, constant. But I think also the decisions throughout the day do... They are very interesting. I've noticed it in a while. I was talking to a mate about this because obviously um, I'm in my shred again. You're in your shred. So he he was talking about like he knows what to do, but like as soon as he gets stressed, bam, it's like straight into comfort food. And I'm like, I also deal with that, but it's like that decision on that day of like micro decisions throughout the day of like I went to you know the plaza or whatever to get some stuff. And it's like, oh, there's some frozen yoga out there. I wouldn't mind some of that. And like, nah, nah, can't. Got, got food at home and stuff like that. So there's like mini micro decisions every single day and they build up and you do get decision fatigue, which is why we preach going to sleep. So then you can really lower that fatigue down. But it's like, it, it can get harder, obviously, if you're not used to it, one, or two, um, you just um, in too lower calories or too lower body fat and your body's really pushing against you and you're getting that real food focused. And we spoke about that the other week of like, if you're too food focused on things, then maybe it's time to just bring yourself back up to maintenance a bit. But I know that, yeah, the lower and lower and the longer you go through, if you don't have those habits in place of like, or if you're not prepared, oh, what am I going to eat right now? Like that's not a decision that you should be making right now. You should have it all planned out so you don't have to think about it because the longer and longer you have to think about what you're going to eat, it's just like using a, a choosing a, a movie on Netflix or something. Some people spend like half an hour just looking at a fucking movie to watch. Like if you mm-hmm. had it like the night before, all right, we're going to watch this, bam, straight in, you save yourself half an hour. But that's the same with food. It's like, oh, what are we going to have? Oh, I don't know. And then you start to think of, certain decision then you got all these decisions that you've made throughout the day and it's just oh we'll just get this on the way ah it's all right we deserve it we've had a hard day's work whereas if you know that you're going into a deficit for the week for the day you plan out your meals or at least have meal prep meals there or a meal prepped or you've already meal prepped throughout the week so it's like oh it's in the fridge i'll just grab that instead of ordering uber eats or something like that not saying you don't have to not order uber eats but it's like if it's there and you remind yourself of what goal you have, these micro decisions lead to a better life, better health, better fat loss bit by bit, like just chopping, chopping at that tree with that little ax, you know, bang, bang, bang. And then the Uber Eats will come along and then fill that fucking tree up. So just, you know what I mean? It's just little decisions throughout the day. And obviously it gets harder, harder at night, but what have, what have you found to help you with like these mini decisions? I've obviously named, named a few things like that you can do. Obviously, prepare your food and everything, like plan out what you're going to have. Um, but it's that split decision of like, are you going to have the yogurt or are you not? And that just comes with reminding myself like what the goal is. Mm-hmm. Not saying that I can't have it, knowing that I choose not to have it right now. Yeah, so... First of all, before I give you an answer, decision fatigue is a very, very real thing. And it's not just in within like a day, right? So a lot of people experience this over the course of a week. 
So like Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. regimented, regimented, regimented. I am so guilty of this myself. And this is why referring back to doing the hard thing on a Saturday morning, whether it's going in and doing 45 minutes of the stairs, going for a run, doing an ice bath, whatever it may be, doing something that I don't particularly want to do. Mm-hmm. Because I know from my own personal experience, this last weekend was another big, big highlight of it, of I go through Monday to Friday, super disciplined, super regimented. And then it gets to the weekend. I'm like, oh, it's the weekend now. And I just really take my foot off the gas and just, I, I don't do what I need to do in order to say, potentially build a business or develop myself or educate myself further because I'm not doing that hard thing. So decision fatigue is very, very real. It does happen day to day. And there is like little micro decisions. And we all know with a butterfly effect, like each decision you make has a rippling effect down the line. So don't think of it as like just a day to day, but like as a week as well, um, things that I do. So the first one is that one second decision that I talk about. And that's just simply asking yourself the question in 15 minutes time, in 30 minutes time, in an hour's time, whatever it may be, will I be happy that I chose not to do this? Will I be happy that I chose this food? Will I be happy that I did whatever? Will I happy that I continued on my run? Whatever it may be. Um, when it comes to with food, how you said, preparation's obviously key, but it's reminding myself of, okay, what's my current goal? If my current goal is just maintenance or maybe building a bit of muscle, then naturally I'll probably go, oh yeah, I can enjoy the frozen yogurt, which was the example that you gave. If it's not, and I'm like on my shit with my diet, if I'm if I'm dieting, I'm dieting. There's no if, buts, or maybes. Like my mindset is completely flipped and then that just doesn't even become an option. So because it's not an option, it's not really a tough decision for me. But I know not everyone's in no, that same mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that that's why I said that one second decision and reminding yourself and being like, so the one second decision is asking, would future you be happy with it? And then the second way is the way that you mentioned. So reminding yourself of what is your current goal? And then the next question is, does this choice or decision align with my current goal? Whether that's fat loss, building muscle, just living life, whatever it may be. If it's, uh, I'm, I'm just at maintenance at the moment and I really want to focus on improving the quality of my life and I'm really going for memories over macros. It's like, oh, my, my partner's asked for to go out for frozen yogurt. Oh, it may not be the best option for me. I'm thinking of all the toppings that go on it. Chocolate sauce, I really love. The caramel, I really love that. Uh, you know what? That'll be a great memory for us. We can go, we can sit down the beach, whatever, wherever it may be, and we can have great conversation and we can build that relationship more. That is that is a decision that you make then because you're choosing memories over macros. And it's probably better for your health too because you're deepening your relationship. So you've, you've really got to ask yourself, what is my goal right now after you remind yourself of your goal and like, does this does this match with my goal? So mm. that, that'd, be, that'd be the two ways for me is like, asking the question of would future me be happy with it and then reminding yourself of your goal and then does this decision align with my goal? Mm. What about when it comes to stuff like you're really stressed from work like, and you're fully fatigued and you're just like, fuck it. I've been dieting for so long. I just want to have this one thing. But then it keeps repeating. Like, what do you say to yourself? Like, how do you get, how would you coach someone through something like that? So let's say it comes up grab a piece of paper or a journal, write down your thoughts that are going through your head and when you want that said food. So that would be that would be number one. Number two is, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking mainly food-based here. Yeah, let's go yeah. food-based, yeah. Yeah, so that would be the first one and like the thoughts around that food, like, like journal it. Second one would be, ask yourself, 
would I eat a plain, no salt, no butter, no nothing, plain boiled potato right now? If that answer is yes, then okay, you're probably hungry. If not, it's probably just a craving. Third one, how was my sleep last night? Oh, I slept poorly. That's probably going to make me a little bit hungrier. So do a reflective practice on sleep. Maybe hydration as well you could throw in there. Have I drunk enough water today? Oh, maybe I'm just thirsty. The body is amazing, but it can sometimes confuse thirst and hunger. So that would be the way I'd approach it. I would I would do some sort of getting my thoughts out and like my thought around that food. And is it is it reaching for comfort? I actually coached someone through this literally yesterday. And I was like, oh, you, you say you're reaching for comfort food. I want you to write down your thoughts, what's stressing you and what's making you want to reach for that food. Write it out and see, and then report back to me next week and, and we can chime together and see what's exactly causing that. Yeah. But the second one was asking yourself, would I eat a plain, no salt, no butter, boiled potato right now? If that's a if that's a yes, or like a, a boiled chicken breast. Oh, disgusting. Would I or for you, would I eat a can of tuna right now? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then okay, you are hungry. So have something to eat. If it's no, then it's likely just a craving. And then same with that journaling, like getting the, the thoughts out around the food and why you're reaching for it come for food. A reflective practice as well of of just asking yourself, uh, did I sleep well? Am I hydrated? What's my mood like? Am I reaching for it? Yeah. That, mm. that would be the way I'd coach through it. What about yourself? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's funny you said that because I was talking to my mate about this and he doesn't like broccoli at all. So I was just like, would you eat a bowl, whole bowl of broccoli? And he's like, yeah, probably not. I'm like, well, you don't know the difference between craving and hunger. I'm like, mm. until you know that, just ask yourself each time, like, could I eat broccoli right now? If If you wouldn't, then yeah, you're just craving foods. And it's just... And it's so ingrained in yourself as well of just like, I'll just have this food, whatever. It's just easy. It's on the way. And you've got all these like subliminal messages of Macca's, the big M, KFC bucket, all this shit when you're driving through certain places, wherever you are. That's why it's like, sometimes it's easier like being out in the country so that you don't have to like <laughs> pass all these things. But yeah, it's, it is, it is a hard one. And yeah, what I, what I basically said was, yeah, you need to find out what's actually causing the stress in the first place. And I get like work is very stressful, but but knowing that you'll feel better and potentially will stress less if you are eating well. Like if you're, because like it, it's a it's a roll on effect when you're eating shit, you're feeling like shit, then you're sleeping like shit, and then the next day you you're not. 100% yourself and then like all these little things that are probably just would be nothing if you were healthy could really start pushing you down further and further whereas if you were to eat healthy and feel better those things will just brush off and then that stress won't be as much as if you were like eating like shit so it's like finding out what's what's causing it and why you want to reach for this food every single time and yeah it could just be it's it's easy. I'm like I just drive in, get my food, and that's it. And I feel better because it is it is serving a purpose for you. But it's also like, could you just pass it, go home, and then have a meal prep meal right there and then? Like, I, there's Muscle Chef meals in servos now that you can grab, mm. and they're probably cheaper. I think they're like, what twelve bucks or something. But heat that bad boy up. <laughs> like they're they're pretty good right now. And it's just like yeah, it's it is a hard one. And it's different psychologies as well with different people all the time of knowing like how you tick, 
and what's causing the stress. And you, you have to go deeper and deeper and really be honest with yourself because obviously it's serving you in some in some reason. So what's interesting, right, is you, you talk about trying to trying to minimize the stress. There's always going to be some some kind of stress, like I talked about with the seeking seeking discomfort. I think there's always going to be some sort of minor stress in our life. Like, do I look good in this stress? Could I, could I like, whatever it may be. Um, I was speaking with uh, my stepfather on Friday. We're talking about like the obesity epidemic. And I said to him, I'm like, look, I don't think we've got like a, like a, a weight loss issue or anything like that. I think what we've got is a, is a convenience and a trauma issue. And he looked at me like when I said trauma and I'm like, well, you can get enjoyment from eating food. Like it's very much been proven. Like, and I'm like, I, I think it's two things. It's like people uh, are making themselves time poor or they're not prioritizing their time to plan ahead with food, whatever it may be. I'm like, so they go for the convenient option and like, oh, it's easy. I'm like, and that's what most people think it is. But after working with many, many people, it's quite often the latter and it's quite often like a trauma problem. And, and rather than, I don't know, sitting in their own discomfort of being by themselves and potentially being bored, they'll reach for food and that's boredom eating or they may have trauma come up in the, the past that may have happened to them, whatever it may be, and they may soothe through food. And this, oh, this food tastes amazing in my mouth, makes me feel good momentarily, and they soothe that way. So as much as it may seem quite obvious to us if you need to get to the root problem of why you're choosing this food, it's not common to the general population. So I think it's a really interesting and important conversation to have of finding the why of you seeking the comfort food and the reason like mentally of, of what's causing you to run to that trigger or whatever it may be. So yeah, I'm glad you touched on that point of the going back to the why, which I suppose ties in with that whole reflective practice, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to be self-aware enough to be reflective. And that's where like writing down your thoughts around seeking the food and how you're thinking about the food, why you want the food could be really, really beneficial. And also to look back, at, at markers like what caused the stress? Why am I stressed? Did I sleep well? Am I hydrated? Mm. Yeah. I think that I think they're all really pivotal. Yeah. And there's a lot of outside forces happening that doesn't make it easy. But you've also got to think of it like are you putting a restriction on yourself for a certain food? So say like you want to lose some weight, right? So you're like, all right, no going out for food, no fast food, no chocolates, nothing. I'm just going 100% whole foods, that's it, right? That's a massive restriction on yourself. And we all know about that forbidden uh, forbidden tree out there, don't we? And uh, once, you, once you say you can't have it, that's all you think about and that's all you want. So maybe even looking at is there shame around having these certain foods? And are you like going through life being told that I shouldn't have this or telling yourself, telling the story to yourself that I shouldn't have that food. But then as soon as you get stressed, that's the one thing you reach for because it makes you feel better. Whereas incorporating it, maybe even before you get stressed and go, oh, this is delicious. And then maybe even lowering it and go, oh, that wasn't so bad because I think you may be associating you feeling bad with the food 
and then in making you feel better instead of like you're already feeling good. So then you're having the food and now you're in a good state that you're having food and then now you've got a good association with that food and it's not off limits per se because you're like you had it in a good time and then maybe if you're in a deficit, you would lose weight the next day and then that might further enforce that it's okay to have food like this and you don't only have this food when you're stressed. You have it when you're not stressed. You have it when you're having a great time at work or whatever. It's just something that I'm thinking about right now as we're talking. It's just like, have you made up stories around said food or mm-hmm. said fast food or whatever of like, I only have this when I'm stressed or I shouldn't have it, but like, it's my my little treat. Like, you know, you hear people all the time, oh, just treat yourself. You're all right, just treat yourself. I know you're stressed, just treat yourself. It's just like kids are crying. Oh, just treat them. They'll feel better if you give them some food. Like it, it may have been from childhood as well that- mm-hmm you're a lot better now because, you know, you've had your ice cream because you fucking fell over. Like, the kid doesn't even give a fuck. Like, have you seen... I've <laughs> I've seen kids face plant it and they're all sweet and they're looking around at people's faces to see their reactions before they do anything. Like, if yeah. you just... If you just do nothing, they're, they're fine. Like, unless it's really bad. But, like, they, they're like, yeah, just go up and do their own thing. But if you... Oh, my God, are you okay? Are you okay? Like this they'll start crying because the reaction that you have, they're thinking, oh, this person right here that's older than me is thinking that something that to, to me that has happened is bad. So now I need to react badly. Mm-hmm. And then it's ingrained with us over the over our childhood. And then I think that's maybe rolling on to us as adults, which is just, you know, big childs. <laughs> so I think there might be something going on here as well. Yeah, that's what I was referring to with the whole the whole trauma thing, like it's quite often that we, we self-sued whether it's through some sort of food or anything in regards to like a, like a trauma, like something happened, something bad happened. Oh, I have this food, but yeah, I mean, food is a hard one to overcome. I will throw out this little bit on the end and it's just, I know we've said a reflective practice. I know we've said, if you're struggling with trauma and you find yourself going to a comfort food, we are just personal trainers. I think the best way for you to overcome it is to work with a nutritional coach of some sort and see a therapist at the same time. They're going to be able to tap into what may be causing it and what may be triggering it a lot more than just us here. But this is maybe just a wake-up call for you of like, okay, why is this happening? And then this can maybe trigger you to go see a therapist or start working with a nutritional coach or whatever it may be. So as much as we want to talk about it, we're not experts in the field. So I just thought mm. I'd throw that caveat out on the end yeah we're not dietitians um but we we i personally do a bit of nutritional coaching as well because i've gone through you know the pn certification and all that shit but yeah i think see this is a thing as well like it's expensive for um for talking to uh therapists and shit like mm-hmm. very expensive so mm-hmm. i think the first point of contact is a personal trainer slash nutrition coach because it is like therapy but we can't give specific um, prescriptions. Like that's illegal. Just like a therapist could or a dietitian could. But we can just go, if it was us or if it was me, I would do this and then they can trial it and then go from there. That's how you kind of cover yourself with stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's expensive for therapy. And it's also like you might not even like a therapist. Like you might try it once and be like, no, this 
fuck this, <laughs> this bloke or fuck this shit, like, because it's like a back and forth, you know. People go through a lot of therapies, therapists and shit. So, so two things. The first one is that you might not like your therapist. So I had a conversation with a client the other day and it was like, when I get back from Europe, I'm going to seek out a therapist. I'm like, but I want a young therapist, but I'm caught in the dilemma of I want a young therapist because they're more likely to relate to me because of my age bracket as compared to like a 40, 50 year old that don't really understand like the whole social media and like um, current dating world and dating climate. They don't have a, a true grasp on that. I'm like, but I also want an experienced therapist. So I'm sort of like, sort of like caught between the two. Um, but to round this whole conversation out and wrap it up in a neat little box, at the very start, your unsolicited advice was there is no limit on better. Mm. The best investment you can make is in yourself. Mm-hmm. So getting a, a good coach or personal trainer or a therapist, yes, it may seem expensive at the time, but if you overcome some things and you better yourself, you may free up time somewhere to start a new business, make some more money, free up some time to spend with family. So sure. yes, it may be expensive, but your return on investment is mm-hmm. phenomenal. So oh, yeah. I just thought I'd wrap no, that up sure. in a nice little box. Yeah. No, no, I'm, yeah. gl- I'm glad you said that because yes, like, and it's looking at like right now, you might not have the, the money, but it's like saving that little bit by bit. So then you can invest in yourself after because then the best, like, with making money or whatever, you're you're the money maker. So the more skills you have to make, like I heard um, your mate Alex Hormozzi talk about, yeah, he's a great bloke. Um, he was talking about it's co- like whatever you earn, say you're earning like I don't know fifty grand a year or whatever. He's like, it's costing you nine hundred fifty thousand dollars not to make a million dollars of just ignorance tax, basically. So you just don't have the skills to make that much money. And it's like investing in yourself so that you can. But like it's same with the health. It's like what what's happening right now? Like what don't you know to move you forward in your health and fitness right now? And that's just ignorance tax that you got to just pay off each day by day. And I love it. I, I love like that. that. Yeah. Ignorance tax. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. You just got to pay down that debt and then you'll know. So I think, yeah, investing in a coach or at least listen, this is the best start is just listening to podcasts and in, like learning shit and everything. So yeah, I, re- I really enjoy that ignorance tax. Yeah. Okay. So now uh, now that we've sort of wrapped up that segment into a neat little box, I want to double back again to the whole experience thing that I spoke about um, with finding a therapist and then being able to relate. I'm not sure if you're a news watcher or keep up to date on the uh, celebrity world, but Robert De Niro, meet the parents. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He just had a kid. It's his seventh child. Guess how old he is. He just had, what do you mean? Oh, how, how old he is. Yeah. Um, He'd be up in like the sixties, wouldn't he? 70? Try 79. 79. Oh, my God. Yeah, we can keep going, can't we? <laughs> um, wow. So, so there's there's two questions I want to want to ask you from that. And one is the whole, like, experience, right? Like, the world that he grew up in as, like, a, a young kid, teenager, is very different to the, the current climate that we're in. So, like, being able to relate as a parent would, would be difficult. Um. 
the second the second one, and this is this is more like a lighthearted light lighthearted question I want to ask you is so he's seventy nine, right? Is the quality of his sperm and the child he's producing the same as like twenty nine year old De Niro's child? <laughs> like seriously, like at seventy nine, you got to think like we age, right? Like. Mm. This is a serious question, but like in a lot of other ways. I get you. I get you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, it, it's he's it's obviously healthy enough to impregnate a woman. So yeah. Then obviously, yeah, I, I wouldn't even know. I have not looked into <laughs> yeah. his fifty years different sperm, like kind of be producing different. I don't know, man. Like, like I is, guess is it also skip- depends on the on the is it his wife or is it. Just some 45, 45 or 46, I, I think. Right, I okay. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I actually don't know. But it... Inter- I mean, interesting question, right? It is an interesting question. Um, it does depend on, I guess, how healthy he is. But it also is a lot to do with the woman as well now because he's just created, you know, the spark that's happened. But now she's fertilized. That, yeah, she's fertilized. But now everything that goes in her body and how healthy she is will then create create this, I guess, human being of obviously growing growing up the fetus and, and shit like that. So obviously yeah. I, but yeah, it's a it's a hard one. I I could be wrong, but I doubt it'd be like fifty fifty, right? It's just like it's got his genes like how healthy is the mother like and through the pregnancy of like how yeah. the baby will but so you don't think it played that much of a role? His, you know, his really has been seventy nine years. <laughs> I really don't it's know. a strange question, hey man. Like when yeah. I thought about it, I'm like, man, like, like obviously he's he's able to uh, fertilize the egg and impregnate her, but like, is the quality of his swimmers going to be good? Like, like what, yeah. what's like is is I that mean, you only need that, one, don't you? Yeah. Well, is is the like are his younger kids that he's had when he was younger? Like, are they are they going to be? Uh, more athletic or smarter or whatever it may be, individuals as compared to this one because he's aged. Like, like, mm. is there a difference there? I, I just a st- strange question. We're not going to know an answer, but I just thought I'd ask you. I will be researching this though, so <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. You can't just like ask so, me a question and not have an answer for me. So the first question: Do you think he'll have a, a tougher time like parenting like at this age? Mm. As compared to when he was when he was younger, I didn't look when he had his first child, but like, do you think he'll have a harder harder time because it's harder to relate because the times are so different? Like sixty look, years ago when yeah. he was nineteen compared to now, like that's it's so starkly different. Yeah, look, he, I doubt he'll be alive when this kid's nineteen, but if he is alive, then yeah, it would be it'd be hard. Like our parents now, like just normal parents, find it hard to relate to their kids and stuff. Yeah, so. And, like even that, ten that's year what gap, I mean. Ten years, sorry, twenty year gap. Yeah, it's just like it would yeah. be, but yeah, he'd be old and frail by the time they're you know mm-hmm. old enough to make it out on that on the world. So I think it'll be more the the wife or whatever bringing bringing the yeah the kid up, and that that creates a whole other ethical question. But let's not go down that route. Let's uh let's go down into some facts. You got a fact for me? Let's go. Let's go a bit lighthearted here. Okay, I've got I've got a good fact for you. Well, actually, no, I don't. I um, you know that uh, <laughs> I've got a good of... fact for you. Actually, nah, nah, don't. Nah, well, so you know the oh my god facts and stuff. I have this calendar, and it said avocados are poisonous to birds. I'm like, there's no way that's right. So I like dug deeper 
And it was just like, no, not really. Just a certain thing in like the pip and skin can be a little bit bad to some animals and birds. So I'm like, what else have we got with avocados? So I was looking at the ripeness of it, of like, if it's unripe and you want to ripe quicker, you put unripe. it in a, Yeah. Is that is yeah. that the right word? Unripe? It just doesn't yeah, sound what, right. Yeah. What would you say? If it's not if it's ripe, not, if it's not if it's not ripe, yeah. But if but, you place an unripe avocado, that's yeah, how you would okay. use it, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound right, but <laughs> you can. Fact it just sounded really. One, yeah, it just yeah. sounded really strange when you send it through. Yeah, yeah. Well, you place an unripe avocado in a brown paper bag along with an apple or a banana, and it can help accelerate the ripening process. So what happens is like they both produce um, ethylene gas. Yeah, they both produce ethylene gas, which is a plant hormone that promotes ripening. So by enclosing an unripe avocado with these fruits in a paper bag, you create a concentrated environment where the ethylene gas is trapped around the avocado and it can speed up the ripening process. Sorry to disappoint you, but I knew this one. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew about that. I didn't know apples though. I will admit that, but I, I knew bananas in a brown paper bag or like if you have like a fruit bowl, like even just storing, it doesn't even need to be in a brown paper bag, just storing mm. the avocados near the banana will help the ripening process. Mm. Avocados are so so temperamental, man. You you buy one and it's ripe and then the next day you're like, "Well, well that now it's no good." <laughs> yeah. It's it's a complete pile of mush. The the temperamental fruits. But it's it's better than other fruits because like you can it can stay on the tree for ages. Like it'll get to a certain point and then as soon as you pick it, that's when it starts to ripen even more. Mm. So like okay. with other fruits and that, you gotta like be on to it, eh? You go, Oh yeah. <laughs> I gotcha, I see ya. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Animal fact for ya. Similar to humans, baby elephants suck their trunks for comfort. <laughs> <laughs> So you know how we suck our thumb? <laughs> Baby elephants put their trunk in their mouth and they suck onto it as like a, a comforting tool. So that's their self-soothing rather than food. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, right. <laughs> they go they go with they go with the trunk. Oh, okay. Interesting. And we've just seen it out in the wild, have we? Uh I'm I'm assuming so. I'm assuming they've people that are do do research on elephants and, and study them and their behaviors and habits and whatnot. Um have done so. Mm. Okay, let's get stuck into some questions. Before we get to the questions, I just want to ask a small favor of you. If you could leave us a five-star review and share this episode with family, friends, or to your Instagram stories, we would really appreciate it. It helps the podcast grow, get into more people's ears, and costs nothing but two seconds of your time. Thanks for listening and your continued support. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Question number one. How can I improve my conventional deadlift technique? I struggle with my hips shooting up and it looking like an RDL. Yeah, don't shoot your hips up. <laughs> this is it's so hard to give tips over over a um over a podcast. You gotta one, I would just uh film yourself first just to see what's actually going on. Um but you gotta think of it like in two parts of a deadlift. So conventional deadlift, it's off the ground. You go normal stance, um, hands by by your side. Think of it as like a squat first and then a hinge. So as you've got the bar getting into position, straighten your back, you're like squatting that 
first part up and then once it reaches above your knee, that's when you hinge forward. That's how I've always taught it. And then you could like um, ease them together. So you go squat up to knees and then hinge forward and then hinging back and then squat down. That's how I teach the deadlift. And it, it people just get it a lot easier. The hip hinge, like a normal RDL is probably harder than um, a deadlift in my Absolutely. opinion. Um, so you saying that you know how to do an RDL, that's, that's definitely different <laughs> than what I've heard before. <laughs> um, but you could... You could try with, say, a um, a trap bar deadlift first, um, just getting the movement pattern so you don't have that bar in the way and they're by your side, and then move over to the conventional. But really, it's got, you kind of need someone there to kind of cue it in with you, of like, okay, this is what's happening here because you're you're saying you're you struggle. I struggle with my hips shooting up, so you're obviously yeah, you're not squatting up first. You're just like butt up straight away. Could be too heavy yeah. as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's what I would look at. If think of like pushing your feet away from the floor first, squatting it up, and then once it reaches your knees, that's when you hinge forward. So you've pretty much just stolen everything I was going to say there. So <laughs> <laughs> the the cues that I give to try and prevent someone from their hip shooting up, the first one is pull your shoulder blades back, like you got to like you're squeezing a tennis ball under your armpits. That should help keep your your chest more upright and your lats engaged. Um, drop your drop your hips down, and then I don't say squat; I say leg press. So, because people can think of a leg press much easier, like a squat, they just tend to go through the movement. Like a leg press is, I feel like it's a more like pushing away, whereas a squat you're pushing yourself up. So, I want to think of you pushing the floor away. So, leg press the floor away from you, and then it's about that knee height where you go into your hinge movement. But you don't want it to be in two parts, so it can it can get clunky with some people. So, you want to try and make it one fluid movement. The other one I like to give is either think of poking your nipples through your shirt, so sticking your chest out, and that won't allow you to come come forward because you're sticking your chest out or, or your hips to shoot up. And then think of think someone's got like a hook and it's hooked to the top of your the back of your neck near your shirt there, like in between the middle of your shoulder blades, and you're getting pulled up by that. That that's something to to think of because that's not going to pull your hips up first. You're going to think of pulling your chest up first, and it comes in one unison movement. So that would probably be where I'd where I'd go. Um, and the second bit of advice I was going to give was go to a trap bar first because that naturally has you in a more upright position, and you can create more leg drive from the floor, and it can encourage that leg press first uh, movement because it's not as much of a hip hinge movement as a conventional deadlift. So you stole my exact two bits of advice. <laughs> Except I would just word it differently. I would just say leg press the floor away, but squat right. the floor away is the exact same thing till it gets to about the knee, then go into hip hinge. And if you're still really struggling, go to a trap bar first. So, mm. I think also a good tip is just knowing that the bar just wants to be in one plane of motion and you're moving out of the way of the bar, not the bar moving around your body. So what I've found when I teach the deadlift to people a lot of the times with beginners, they try and move the bar around their knees as they come up and then their hips are up. So like their knees are too far forward um, at certain periods of time. So it's a lot easier because they're going with light weight. It's easy for them to move the bar. So sometimes having heavier weight can actually help. Um, obviously be careful, but like sometimes if it's too light, it it's not enough to keep that bar in line because they can easily move it around. So just think that the bar is just going from 
day dot and it's just and it's just shooting straight up and you're moving your body away from the bar because yeah those knees you don't want them um you don't want them moving forward too much so say you've got it at the top of the the lift and you lower it down that's when you bring them forward once the bar has passed your knees because if you have them if you if you your knees are going too far before the bar goes down then you're moving the bar over your knees and you can and it puts you out of alignment and you and you shift forward mm-hmm. so that's that's just another tip i would give is just think of the bar going from the floor straight up and you're moving your body away out of the way of the bar that's that um that's that hook to the back of the shoulder blades like around your around your shirt and it being pulled up that that straight up motion your your body's out of the way of the bar that bar should be moving nice and straight there is something else that just came to my mind then um, thinking about cues that I gave to a client that was really struggling with the deadlift and maybe just start with your hips a little bit higher. Like maybe your deadlift technique is a little bit more of a, a hinge movement than like a, a leg press movement. Like if you're, if they're starting like really, really high, maybe your your hips are going too low when you're trying to squat the bar up too much and stay too upright. So maybe just hinge a little bit more. Like it could, it could be a technique based thing, but it's hard to tell without seeing footage. So mm. yeah, that's, that's our main bits of advice hope they help uh but yeah film yourself and and critique your technique yeah and i I guess it also depends on your um limb lengths as well like a sumo might even be better for you if you're doing this like you might be shorter in stature so not sure who's asking this question if how tall they are but maybe try sumo you might actually feel a lot better yeah, maybe they don't want to cheat though, because we all know sumo's cheating. So it's maybe true. they're like, nah, I'm not gonna cheat. <laughs> <laughs> and then just never deadlift at all. <laughs> I'd rather not deadlift than cheat. Okay. Question number two. Is there anything wrong with eating the same foods every day? Okay. It depends. So you can eat whatever you want, right? The so I'm I'm gonna frame it in a way of okay, this is like a meal plan versus say uh, flexible eating. They've actually done studies of the flexible eating had um, better markers in different minerals and stuff because Mm -hmm. the meal plan would just have specific foods all the time and you could be deficient in certain uh, vitamins and minerals and that. So in that sense, it can potentially be wrong in that but there isn't anything wrong with just like having you know same food it keeps you regimented if you're on track and stuff and if you enjoy those foods then go right ahead i would just caution you that variety is usually nine times out of ten better than just sticking with the same stuff every time like if you've got a bodybuilding show mate you're getting down to low levels so it's not it's not healthy anyway so you might as well just go on your little meal plan if that's better for you. But in the studies, they were showing that flexible eating gets a variety of foods so then you're not deficient in some vitamins and minerals. So it's not so much wrong, but just be mindful of that if you do want to eat like the same foods every day, that there are foods that have a lot more variety in them so then you're not um, missing out on certain vitamins or minerals. Brad, you keep stealing my answers. <laughs> so my answer is like almost identical. So there's nothing wrong with eating the same foods every day. So in fact, I encourage a lot of the people 
that I work with, when they're in that routine, that Monday to Friday work routine, like eat similar, but then add variety on the weekends. So, and it's for that exact same reason that you mentioned, like, yes, you can have this, it can be all 100% clean, whole, minimally processed foods. It can be full of fruit, full of veg, but you may be missing some sort of nutrient in there somewhere or some vitamin or a mineral or whatever it may be. And you may run into a nutrient deficiency because you're eating the same thing over and over and over again. Yes, it may be great whole food, but you're just not eating this one particular nutrient. And if you have a nutrient deficiency, it can affect the whole apple cart completely. So yes, you can eat the same thing every day. And I would encourage it for say like breakfast, lunch, and then maybe variety at dinner or same thing Monday to Friday and then flexible over the weekend or have like eight to 10 meals that you rotate through throughout the week. So I've spoken about this before and that's what I do. I've probably got six to seven meals that I rotate through Monday to Friday. And then on the weekends, I'm a lot more flexible with my food choices and uh, I add a lot more variety and it's variety is the spice of life. <laughs> I've got a guy that's been on, on, he created a meal plan with the, the macros that are recommended to him. He created the meal plan with it and he stuck to it for like six, seven, eight weeks. And I'm like, dude, how are you not bored? Like it, it blows my mind. I'm like credit to you and your discipline being able to do the same thing over. And he's like, it's easy. It works for me. And he's like, and then like you suggest on the weekends, I then add a little bit of variety and, and that's where I get my variety and on the, on the Sunday, but, Monday to Saturday, it's like same thing, same thing, same thing. So, yeah, know who you are. And if you're someone that likes that routine and likes knowing everything's laid out for you, nothing wrong with doing every day, but just be mindful of running into a, a nutrient deficiency somewhere. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with it. If, you, if you've got a meal that you like, it supports your goals. Uh, it's it's nutrient dense, it's packed full of fiber, it's got protein. There's no reason why you can't eat it over and over and over and over. I could eat a chicken stir fry every single day of the week for the rest of my life and not get bored of it. Like I'm a I'm a creature of habit. You can just change the the sauce that you like and you get a little bit of variety that way. So there's nothing wrong with eating the same meal uh every single day if you like. Just be careful of running into a nutrient deficiency if you're eating the exact same foods every single day until the end of time. <laughs> yeah. I I think most people have probably around between like five and 10 meals that they just have on rotate every, mm. every week anyway. So I think like things like uh, HelloFresh, that's a good way of introducing some new um, foods or whatever, like cooking with someone or going out to dinner each week or something like that and picking something different on the menu. But yeah, I get it. It's just so much easier just having the same thing over and over again because mm -hmm. it is easy and especially if you are dieting that's uh that's what we want preparation you know it's not time to trial all these different like foods and shit when you're like in a fat loss phase because then that it just takes like i don't know two or three hours just to cook one fucking meal when you could have like <laughs> prepped yeah. a whole week with that time do do the basics when it, when it comes to dieting but like if if we're talking just to like a, a general pop someone looking to maintain their their health and maybe build some muscle then yeah add some variety in there like i said variety is the spice of life spicy question number three what does it mean if my lifts aren't progressing up much in weight or at all after a few months of sticking to a certain program but i feel as though i look more muscular well what does it mean well <laughs> it just means that you're not progressing like you're probably not in a certain rep range, you've probably maybe hit your ceiling of um, of where your weight is and it's just a lot slower than normal. You said 
much weight. So it seems to me as though you've increased your weight a little bit, but I wouldn't worry too much because you're feeling and you're looking more muscular for one, which probably means maybe you're in a slight deficit and then you're increasing a little bit more muscle mass as you're um, doing these lifts and that. But if you, unless you're on like a full strength program, like I wouldn't worry too much because if you're looking more muscular and feeling better, then isn't that the goal? But if the goal is to progress in weight, which strength does is is a good predictor of muscle mass, but it's not a hundred percent predictor of of muscle mass too, because you be really really strong and not gain any muscle. So the the muscle comes from progressively overloading and with your volume too. So all these people that get stronger, they don't do as much volume as someone like a bodybuilder would. And they, but you need to still be progressing. So you say you're looking good and looking more muscular and feeling better, keep going. But I think once you stop to feel like feel better or don't look as muscular, that's when you need to really look at your programming and stuff. So I'm going to ask them questions to get a better understanding. So what is your goal? Is your goal to build strength or is your goal to change your physique and, and go for aesthetics? If it's aesthetics, then there's there's nothing wrong with not progressing in the gym. I would probably predict that this person is trying to change their physique, right, and and improve their aesthetics. Um, if so, win, happy days. You you yeah. you're probably in a calorie deficit. You've lost some fat. You haven't gained any muscle. You haven't gained any strength, but you've changed your physique and you feel and look more muscular. So chalk that up as a win. However, if you are trying to gain strength. <laughs> then this may be a bit of an issue and you probably need to eat a little bit more. So yeah, it depends on what your, what your goal is here. So if, if your goal is aesthetics, you're winning, keep going. Um, strength towards the end of a, a lengthy fat loss phase will usually like take a bit of a hit. Um, even with really good programming, like there's not many people that are walking onto a body bodybuilding stage, hitting PRs two or three days beforehand. That's, it just doesn't That's really smart. happen. Yeah. But, they will go, oh, look, I look more muscular. There's that there's that thing in the gym. I don't know what it is. It's Guys will come up to you when you're dieting and be like, wow, you've gotten bigger. What have you done? It's like, oh, I've, I've actually lost three kilos. Like, <laughs> mm. I've, I just look more defined and it gives me this illusion of being bigger. So I'd, I'd say that's probably what's happened. You're probably in a calorie deficit because you're trying to change your physique and appearance. It's worked, um, but you may not be progressing in the gym which may be a mental battle in itself. So mm-hmm. it's something I've noticed because I've gone into a bit of an ag- aggressive deficit like we've touched on last week. I've gone into a bit of aggressive deficit and I'm not trying to make strength gains and progress my volume in the gym like I normally would at the moment. I'm literally just trying to go in, match numbers. If I can sneak in an extra rep, I'll sneak in an extra rep. But it's just trying to match numbers and just hone in what my technique and form and training for the skill and to, to feel good. So... Yeah, if you're ch- training for aesthetics, you're you're winning, brother. You're you're doing really well. Yeah, brother, you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four: Can wrist straps help when you're trying to overcome an injury whilst also trying to lift heavier? Look, <laughs> this is not good. Like <laughs> you are trying to lift heavier with wrist straps, but you're overcoming an injury. So this seems like another injury is coming right now. You may have even <laughs> had an injury I'm guilty of, while I'm guilty using. Of this. Yes. So like you need to get the injury 
you need to wrap that shit up. You need to give it time. You don't need to like push forward. <laughs> wrap it up, but not with wrap wraps though. <laughs> no, not with wrist straps. Uh, it's like this. I I wanted to really, I wanted to answer this question because this is like not a question you should be asking right now. The, the question should be, how do I get um, over my injury? And that's, you know, making sure that you're doing some mobility, some light work with it and just giving it some rest, fe- fueling yourself and not getting after it in the gym. This is not a time to get after it and to sneak in some stuff. Like you could probably use um, like BFR actually, uh, which gives you just as good a stimulus as say um, heavy heavy weights would when you're going from an injury. And it depends where the injury is as well, of course. Like if it's in your legs, then you can do some upper body work. Um, if it's, you know, in your arm, you can do some lower body work. But I would just be mindful of like what exercises you're choosing so that they don't affect the uh, repair of said injury that you have. Okay, so I'm going to think back to a young... 18, 19-year-old Brock who broke his thumb and was in a cast. Now, if you're using it to, let's let's say you've done a bicep injury and you're using, or, a, or an injury to your forearm and you're using the wrist straps as a way to act as a crutch for the forearm, then probably don't do it. Now, me, what I used the wrist straps for was so I didn't have to grip anything and I could attach them to a cable and I could do a chest fly <laughs> with a cast on. Fuck it up. <laughs> now it it didn't affect it didn't affect my thumb whatsoever, but it allowed me to train. Or I could put a cuff around. I I remember putting a cuff around my my elbow, and I could do like a, a chest fly that way, and I could get some sort of chest stimulus. And it just made me feel mentally better about not losing gains because it was all like gains, gains, gains at eighteen, nineteen. So look, I can totally understand where this this person is uh, coming from. It just depends on how you're using it. So I'm not gonna. Just say no, don't. But, <laughs> but just be just be mindful. Like, is there a potential for you to worsen the injury or create another injury by using the wrist straps? If so, then no, don't. But if it's like using as a cuff, um, because you've got a hand issue and you you can't grip the bar, or you've got a forearm issue and you're putting the cuff around your elbow, then I'll probably let you get away with it. So that way you can do some like reverse flies some chest flies. You can maybe even do some lateral raises. So long as it's around the elbow joint and it's not affecting your forearm, wrist or hand. But yeah, that it, it, it really depends because I know at 18, 19, mm. if I ask this question and I was listening to this advice, I'd be like, stuff them. I've, mm. I've, got, to get, I've got to get my chest pump. I don't want to lose my gains. So I'm not just going to rule out no for this, for this person. Um, just, just be wise and go, okay, is there a chance of me making this injury worse or giving myself another injury? Yes, there is a chance. Okay, no, I shouldn't use the rib straps. Just like using a, a crutch, right? Let's say you've got a broken leg and you just crutch up all the time rather than getting surgery and getting the, the leg repaired. Like you're best off getting surgery, getting the leg repaired, and then you can come back stronger from it rather than just getting around on a crutch all the time on the broken leg. That's what the wrist straps may be doing for you. They may just be acting as a crutch. So just just be mindful of that. But I'm not going to completely say say no. Mm, yeah, I think it's not because they've written in here trying to lift heavier. So I, that's just like ringing bells with me. Like if you... Yeah, true. That, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that, that's, that's a very important part of that question. If, you, if you're trying to lift heavier, like if you're not just trying to get some sort of stimulus, then, then no, that's just stupidity. 
Yeah, you can lift light and just yeah. Yeah, leave your ego behind. More reps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do, and just give yourself time to to recover from the injury, and you can still maintain. Like you don't you don't you don't need fuck all to to maintain. So just be mindful of like how you're doing it. But yeah, just be very cautious as well because mm. I know it's you just want to keep getting ahead, keep getting ahead. But sometimes it is better just to back it off a little bit so then you can move forward again. So this was during my footy footy playing area when I had that broken thumb. And what I was doing, you can still train around an injury a lot. So look at things that you can do to train around this injury rather than trying to lift heavier. Um, so for example, it was a broken thumb and I had a cast up nearly to the top of my elbow. So what I did was, because I still wanted to train because like the mental aspect of training and maintaining the habit. And I, I knew that maintaining a habit at that 18, 19 years of age was important. So, and I was heavily into footy. So what I did was I did Mondays was a quad focus leg day. So it was like leg extension, leg press, anything where I didn't have to grip a dumbbell or barbell or anything. Then the, the Tuesday was like a, a cuff day. So I would do like chest flies, rear delt flies and lateral raises. And that was just literally just to stimulate the muscle growth. The Wednesday was a like um, hamstring. So like lion curls, seated leg curls, glute bridges without holding onto anything. Um, and then I would take a rest day and then I'd repeat that cycle. And look, <laughs> do I think I made the thumb injury prolong it longer? No, I don't because I, I was pretty smart about it. But I wasn't trying to lift heavier during that period. So I think that's the key part of that question. Like I was just... Yes, my legs, I was training quite hard, but my upper body, it was literally just to stimulate muscle growth. So tr- you can, there's a lot you can do to train around an injury. Like I wasn't, I wasn't bench pressing. I wasn't rowing. I wasn't doing pull-ups obviously because of a thumb. So maybe try and train around your injury, let it recover faster. And then you'll go back to trying to lift heavier loads sooner rather than prolonging the time that you are injured just because you want to uh, fuel your ego, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a hard one eh? because especially if you're very fitness focused like we are we just want to get in and get after it and then because mm-hmm. it's also like helps us mentally as well but you can't go in and like because like the what, what are the three main injuries your shoulder knee and probably back i would have thought so i would if think so yeah if it's one of them then yeah you kind of do some mobility around that to help and then just test out the water to see what exercises that you can do because there's plenty of exercises out there but you might find, oh, can't do that. And who knows how, like, you can do other ones. Like, oh, I can go in this plane, but as soon as I move it like five degrees this way, it hurts. And you're like, okay, maybe you just don't do that. And you just stimulate it enough so that you don't lose muscle, but you're not going heavier. Like, I'd probably take that part out because that's mm. even risk for even more injury further down the track. You probably hurt yourself because you did lift heavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the pivotal part of that question is the trying to lift heavier loads. It's like, no, bro, you've got an injury. Like, let it let it heal, and then you can get back to a hundred percent. And that's when you will lift heavier loads when when you don't have an injury. So, yep. get yourself back to a hundred percent faster. But I've got no issues with you using your wrist straps just to <laughs> if it, if it makes you mentally feel better about potentially getting a pump because yeah. of thinking back ten years ago to eighteen, nineteen year old bro. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of nuance there, but yeah, it mm. depends on what the injury is as well. Mm. 
Okay, so that's a wrap for the questions. Now, if you want your questions answered in the future, make sure you are following us at brain.body.movement, at Brad Dapper and at Brock underscore Dalgleish. And you can ask us a question whenever we put up a sticker box or just shoot us a DM. We just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed or took any value at all from this episode, we would really appreciate it if you took a screenshot and shared your Instagram stories. We would also love if you shared it with family and friends and left us a five-star review. And don't forget to turn on post notifications so you don't miss an episode in the future. But before we go, we can leave you with a few things. Make your damn bed, get your steps in, and be kind to one another. Cheers. Cheers.